0: So then John is told to, to take this scroll from the hand of this mighty angel and eat it. This is something that both Jeremiah and Ezekiel were also told the same thing, to take a scroll and to eat it. So John takes this scroll and he eats the scroll. And this, the scroll is the message of God. This is the, the unsealed scroll message of, of God, of, of the Lamb. And they, he was to prophesy and to declare the message So he was to take in, to eat this message, and then to declare it out and release it. John is to prophesy to people, to nations and kings, declaring the message of the scroll. And the message is both sweet and bitter at the same time. Sweet because it's the very words of Jesus. It's the very words of God to us. So as he he eats the scroll, it's sweet like honey. But it's bitter in his stomach, and his stomach begins to turn sour because it talks about the, the messages of, tribulation, of trials, of judgment, of terrible things that are to come. And so the message is also bitter. And chapter 11 begins with the message of the scroll. So from verses 1 through 13, John shares the contents of the Lamb's scroll. And the, the context of the Lamb's scroll, they tell us how the kingdom of God is going to come to earth. And it speaks about what our role is as it comes, and what will take place, and the contents of the scroll are seen in two uh, symbolic visions: the first one John measures the temple and he counts worshippers in the temple and the second one is the two witnesses Now I want you to Keep in mind that as we read through the scroll's contents in chapter 11, that it's full of symbolic prophetic imagery. And we will get off track if we start to mix and mingle what is, what is symbolic prophetic imagery and what is literal translation. If we start mixing the symbolic and the literal together, we start to get confused and we start like, what is actually taking place here? So keep in mind that this is full of, of, of prophetic symbolic imagery. So let's look at chapter 11 at the first vision. It's in verses 1 and 2. Says, then there was given to me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar of incense, and count those who worship in it. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given over to the Gentiles or the nations, and they will trample down the holy city for 42 months, which is three and a half years. Now, there, there's, there's really like three options for what's, what John is seeing here and what, and what this actually means. The first is, this is either a prophetic word concerning something that is about to happen to the city of Jerusalem. Or it's, it's a prophetic word about something that has already taken place in the city of Jerusalem. Or it's symbolic. And I believe that it's most likely that John is not referring to the literal temple and the city of Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem. But he is actually describing what is going to happen to the church. Now, who's the church? We are. So he's not talking about a building. He's talking about people. And this would be in alignment with the example of Jesus and the apostles' teaching. For example, if you're taking notes, you don't want to write these references down. We won't have time to read them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6 and 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. All of these teach that we are the temple of the spirit. We are the house of God. We are living stones being built up into this house for God. So this being the case, this this would mean that the message here is about the church. It's about us as followers of Jesus and how we would suffer persecution. But also how the external, what would, what would look like apparent defeat through persecution, cannot touch our victory that has been given to us through the slain lamb. See, it's the outside of the temple. It's the outer court of the temple that's trampled down where the inside is protected. See, the, 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 the measuring of the inside and the counting of those in it is a prophetic message of protection for those who are in the temple. I believe that John is saying that we are going to experience persecution. woo No, not, not many amens on that. We are going to experience persecution. We will experience trials and sufferings. But the external suffering that we go through and that we experience, it cannot take away the internal victory of the Lamb of God. See, there's a promise that Jesus makes And I never hear anybody hold on to the, you know, we we talk about, we sang about it. All of his promises are yes and amen. So this right here, I'm about to tell you, this is a yes and amen promise. John chapter 16, verse 33. In the world, you will have tribulation and distress and suffering. But be courageous, be confident, be undaunted and be filled with joy. He says, for I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory abiding. See, there is nothing that can happen to us that will take away what Jesus has done in us. Just stay faithful to Jesus. Okay, vision number two. So the second vision, this is where we're going to read about the two witnesses. The second vision takes the theme of the first vision of the measuring of the temple and counting of the worshipers and it expands upon it. So look at um, verses three and four. It says that I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, 42 months, three and one half years, dressed in sackcloth. These witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands which stand before the Lord of the Earth. Okay, so there has been a lot of speculation over the identity of the two witnesses. Some people see them, that this is a literal prophetic word about two actual people that will prophesy for three and a half years on the earth. Other people see that the two witnesses is representing the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Or some believe that this is the, the law of God and the message of the prophets from the Old Testament. But I believe that the, the key to understanding the identity as to who the, these witnesses are, are, is found in what John calls them. See, he says that they are lampstands and he says that they are olive trees. Now, if if you've been paying attention, we've we've heard lampstands before back in Revelation chapter 2 when when Renee opened this series, she talked about the the message of Jesus to the seven churches and Jesus called those churches lampstands. So lampstands in the book of Revelation is a clear picture of the church. Now, the the olive olive tree is written about by Paul in Romans chapter 11. See, in Romans chapter 11, he talks about those of us who are non-Jewish Christians, non-Jewish followers of Jesus. And he calls us this wild uh, olive shoot or a wild olive branch and how we have been grafted in to the, the olive tree. The olive tree that Paul is writing about, he's speaking about Jewish believers, Jewish followers of Jesus. That is the olive tree because that, those, that was the, that's the, the chosen nation, the chosen people of God. And we have been grafted into that. And so in Romans chapter 11, it's a picture of Jewish and non-Jewish believers who are all part of the church and the body of Christ. So I believe that the two witnesses are symbols of the church. They're symbols of you and I. And it speaks to our calling to point people to Jesus. See, we've got a prophetic mantle that rests on us from the Lord where we are to call people, nations, and rulers away from their wicked and idolatrous lives and back to the one true God. See, we are not just saved so that we can be rescued and go to heaven. We are saved for a purpose. And we talk about that often here as we talk about fulfilling our destiny because there's an individual purpose and destiny that each one of us has been created to fulfill. And it fits inside that ultimate calling, that mantle that's on us to declare Jesus to the nations, to declare Jesus to people, that there is a better way for them to live their lives than the destructive, wicked lifestyles that they're currently living. Jesus came full of grace and truth, and we find that in John chapter 1. And we are to live our lives after the example that Jesus has given us. Jesus, full of grace, loves every person on the face of the planet unconditionally. There's no conditions to his love. There's no limit to his love. There's no end to his love. He walked the earth and he spent time with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with drunkards. And he was with those who were very very far from God, living lives of sin, living lives of unrighteousness, living below the standard of God's perfect holiness. He loved them right where they are. And he called them out of that lifestyle back to God. There's a story um, um, in the Gospels where there's this woman who the religious leaders catch in the very act of adultery and they drag her out of that act of adultery. They drag her to the temple and they literally throw her down at the feet of Jesus. And they have stones in their hand because the law of God says that if you commit adultery, that you are to be stoned to death, that you are to lose your life. Jesus looks at this woman that the religious leaders wanted to kill because what she had done was wrong. She broke the law. But Jesus didn't condemn her. See, he showed this incredible display of love for a broken, lost, hurting woman. He loved on her. But he also told her, stop doing what you're doing. Don't live like this anymore. He said, go and sin no more. I love you the way that you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way. See, he didn't, lower the standard of God for the sake of love. And if we, can be, if we can be honest with ourselves, we are guilty of lowering the standard of God to love people. That we elevate love above the standard of God and just say, well, I'm just loving them where they are. And that loving them where they are turns into accepting where they are and accepting their behavior and the way that they're living their lives. Jesus didn't do that. He loved her. He didn't execute her because she had broken God's law. But he called her higher to live to the standard. And this is how we as the church, as followers of Jesus, are to interact with the world. With people that do not know Jesus or his ways of right living, we are to love them. We are to build relationships with them. We are to make friends with them we are to call them higher. We are to demonstrate the love that Jesus has for them through our lives and through our friendship and building relationships with them. And in love, we are to call them out of their destructive lifestyles to serve and to surrender their lives to Jesus because there is no better way to live your life than down on your knees surrender to Jesus. This is the prophetic message of the witnesses that John sees. This is the prophetic message of the followers of Jesus, the church, where we take up what we read through in the Old Testament as the mantle of Moses and Elijah, who both called nations back to God. Moses stood before Pharaoh of Egypt and called him back to God. And Elijah prophesied to the nations and called them back to the Lord. Look in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, verses seven and eight. It says, when they, these are the two witnesses, have finished their testimony and given their evidence, the beast that comes up out of the abyss or the bottomless pit will wage war with them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie exposed in the open streets of the great city. Enter the beast into the prophetic vision. So the beast comes up out of the bottomless pit or out of the abyss and kills the witnesses. Now, if you've read through the book of Daniel, Daniel also had a vision of beasts, and I think he saw four different beasts, and, and that's in Daniel, Dan, excuse me, Daniel chapter 7. So if you want to read a little bit about, more about the, about the beasts, read Daniel chapter 7, but we're not going to un, fully unpack the beast because he plays a much larger role in the second half of the book of Revelation. But for now, we need to understand that the beast is demonically driven, and it is sent from the pit of hell to attack the two witnesses, which represent us, the church. So the bodies of the two witnesses are left in the streets for everyone to see. And, and then uh, verses 9 and 10 say this, but I want to read it from the message because it, just, it pulls it out just beautifully. It says, those people will cheer at the spectacle shouting good riddance and calling for a celebration for these two prophets pricked the conscience of all the people on earth and made it impossible for them to enjoy their sin. See, this again gives evidence to the role that we have as the church to call people out of wickedness. We are to speak and to teach people about righteous living and model this lifestyle of following Jesus' ways in front of them. We have to get better at loving people and calling them into relationship with God. About loving them where they are, but loving them too much to leave them there. See, we demonstrate the love and the lifestyle of Jesus by being with them. And yes, when we're with them, some people, some religious people might look at us and saying, what are you doing? Look at how you're living your life. Look at who you associate with. But they also called Jesus a, a sinner and a drunkard. We are to befriend them, build honest, real relationships with them, not relationships with strings that we're only friends with them so that we can invite them to church. Real relationships with them. And in that relationship, loving them, we earn the opportunity to call them higher. To talk to them about Jesus. How there is a better way for them to live their life. Because the way that they're living, the end of that road is not good. The end of that road is destruction, it is pain, it is hurt, it is death. This is also not pleasant for people. I mean, honestly, people just want to be left to whatever they're doing. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. This is honestly, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the ignorance is bliss mentality. And with the death of these two witnesses, the people feel free to live their lives in total rebellion to God, however they want. But suddenly, verse 11, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came up into them. And they stood on their feet, and great fear and panic fell on all those who were watching them. And the two witnesses heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, "Come up here." And they ascended into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched. Followers of Jesus cannot be destroyed because we have life on the inside. The Bible talks about in in, in the book of Psalms in a couple places, like. Uh, why are we so afraid of man? What's the worst that man could do to us? What is the worst thing that someone could do to us? They could kill us. This is just the, the tent, so to speak, that we live in. Because the real us, the, the, the forever us, the eternal us, is our spirits living on the inside. So we may, we may lose our lives, but we are alive forever. Because when we receive Jesus into our lives, we are born again. Our spirits come alive. So our bodies may die, but our eternal spirits never will because we have the Spirit of God living in us and has made us come alive. So even though we may be killed in the natural in our bodies, our spirits are forever alive. And we will be with Jesus for all of eternity. So the witnesses are taken up into heaven. And then, then there's this incredible earthquake that causes great devastation and death. But those that survive, they turn to God and worship Him. And as I was reading this through, I feel like it's important to, to, to catch and for us to hold, hold in our hands as we read through the book of Revelation. Everything in the book of Revelation is not, um, is not what's the best way to say this, is not uh, God orchestrated. Some of the things that happen in the book of Revelation is the demonic response to God. So I'm not, like, as I read this and there's, there's this great earthquake after the witnesses, you know, ascend into heaven. And there's, it says like there's like 7,000 people are, are killed. I don't believe that this is a God-sent earthquake to destroy people. I believe that this is the demonic in reaction to the things that God is doing on the earth. Because after this, and this is how we know this. Because from, the, from, the, from the, the seals and the trumpets, it did not bring about the repentance of people. They did not turn back to God. So why would a great earthquake where, where there's devastation and destruction and loss of life suddenly make people turn to God? That's not what it was. I believe that this is a demonic reaction to what the Lord is doing in the earth through His people. And they see how, how the church loved people and laid their lives down for people. And that is what caused them to turn back to God, to turn and to repent to Him. This is the message of the scroll. This is the message of the Lamb's scroll. It's the mission of God's army, the church, you and I, and God's kingdom. It will be revealed when nations, when people see that we imitate Jesus by loving people and giving our lives for them. Following the example of the Lamb that did not slay His enemies, but sacrificed His life for them. See, God's mercy is shown. His kindness is shown. His love and his goodness is shown through the sacrifice of the Lamb and through the followers of Jesus. And this is what will bring people to repentance. It is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. It's not his wrath, it's not his judgment. Let's pick up Revelation 11 in verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom or dominion rule of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his, of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell face downward and worshiped God. So what we're seeing with the seventh trumpet, we're seeing the exact same thing that happened when the seventh seal was opened. It reveals that it shows the coming of the kingdom of God. So the trumpet is blown and the the seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet and we see the kingdom of God has now fully come. The rule and the reign of Christ has been established and now will be forever. And then in following this, there's this another incredible scene of worship with the 24 elders. Now remember, Back to a few chapters, the 24 elders represent us as the church. And I know there's a lot of things in the book of Revelation that represent a lot of things. So the church is represented multiple times in multiple different ways, but the 24 elders, they represent us as the church falls down in worship before the throne. And there's this incredible scene of worship again. And as they fall down before God in worship, it says that the temple is opened and the ark, the covenant ark is seen in the temple. And then there is thunder and lightning and rumblings and earthquakes and hailstorms i believe what this represents is the is the visible glory of god in all of its fullness as the temple is open and the ark of god is seen in in the temple the glory of god is seen and experienced and felt as i close it, can i get someone to come and play the keys Steph, could you come back and just play a little for me? So as we read through, and this is this is sometimes the tough task of preaching through the book of Revelation is how do I how do I apply what I just read to my life? What? So, <laughs> great, I read a lot of stuff here. There's a lot of terrible things that are, you know that, that that seem like they're about to take place. What does this mean for me today? This is what I want you to take away with: that we are tasked with calling people and rulers, those that have authority over us, those who lead cities and states and and nations, we are tasked with calling them to follow Jesus as Lord. And we do this in three ways. Number one, by loving them. Loving them the same way that Jesus loves us. Number two, by calling them out of their wicked, idolatrous lifestyles. Because if you're not serving Jesus, you are serving a false god. Whatever that God is, for some people it is actually a false God. You know, for other people, it's it's the God of of themselves. It's that which which is humanism, right? We we set ourselves up as our own God. If you're not following Jesus, you're following another God. That's that's an idolatrous lifestyle. So calling them out of that idolatrous lifestyle to follow Jesus, and number three, by faithfully suffering through the persecution that will come as we live out our prophetic calling. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was hated, and he said if they hated me, they will hate you too. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. This is what will bring people to surrender to Jesus and repent of their evil ways when they see that we even though we are facing trials and persecution and we are facing the the pushback from living lives following Jesus and calling people into that same life, that even though we're experiencing persecution from them, we still love them. And even though we're experiencing persecution and we love them, we refuse to back down and to lower the standard of God. Even though we're faced with pain, Even though we're faced with suffering and some, even though they may lose their lives, we remain faithful to Jesus through it all. Listen, I know this is not a rah-rah message. This is not one of those, you know, shout the preacher down, amen, I'm super excited about all of this. We're leaving here and we can take on the world. This is tough. But this is spiritual reality. The way of Jesus is, not, a, is it's not always a bed of roses. And when it is a bed of roses, it's got thorns in there. Like there's pain, there's suffering. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. The way of the cross was not an easy way. It was a way of suffering. It was a way of self-denial, self-sacrifice. Surrendering yourself to the will of the Father. But it's in this, following the ways of Jesus, learning to love people that are so opposed to Jesus, so opposed to us, that they would say that they hate us. But it's loving them anyway, even though we don't agree. Because love is demonstrated so much more powerfully when there is disagreement. And it's calling them out of that. being faithful to Jesus. So I want to pray for us. I'm going to pray very specifically today as I close. Holy Spirit, I ask that you give us courage because we need courage to walk this out. Give us courage to love like Jesus even when we do not understand how people are living their lives, that we would have the courage to love like Jesus. And God, that you would give us boldness to call people out of their sin. Call people to follow you to holiness and righteousness. And that we would persevere faithfully enduring persecution that will come That you would give us the endurance to be faithful to the end. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage us in our spirits. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you see when you look across the world give us ears to hear what you are saying because our heart is for people that we would see them come to know you, to see their lives transformed and changed by the power of Jesus from death to life, from despair to hope, So God, give us courage. Give us boldness and perseverance. In Jesus' name, amen. So Revelation chapter 11, we are exactly halfway through the book of Revelation. I know we've covered a lot in four weeks. That's 11 chapters in four weeks. So in the next four weeks, we've got the the last half of the book, another 11 chapters. And so what we're gonna find out we, we now know. What we know is how the church will bear witness to the nations and inherit the new creation. But in the second half of the book, who's the beast? You're going to have to come back next week. Which I don't know if, we, is the beast next week? The beast is next week. Okay, so read Revelations uh, 12, 13, and 14 for next week. Because as you can see, there's not enough time to read the all, all of the verses. So if you read that, those, those three verses. That's right, right? 12, 13, and 14? Yeah, okay. Chapters, yes. Revelation chapter 12, 13, and 14. You'll be ready for next week. Um, And then we're going to cover the the end of the book in the next four weeks. So God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday.